Thank you for joining us at the OT Corner with Mrs. K. Please note this podcast does not intend to offer medical advice or therapeutic treatment for any medical condition for either yourself or others. If you have any medical or rehabilitation concerns for yourself or your child, please contact your physician. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the OT Corner with Mrs. K, a school-based occupational therapist bringing you a series of interviews and information on childhood development for kids with all different abilities. So get ready, get set, let's go. Hello and welcome back to the OT Corner. My guest today is Miss Jessie Pollock. She is a licensed professional counselor who focuses on psychotherapy with children, adolescents, and their families with an emphasis in depression, general anxiety, social anxiety, suicidality, ADHD, and other behavioral issues. Jessie received her master's degree in clinical mental health counseling from John Carroll University. She holds a degree in psychology from The Ohio State University with a minor in theater. Jessie uses an eclectic approach incorporating cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy, and expressive therapies, which include drama and art. Please welcome Ms. Jessie Pollock to the OT Corner. Hi, Jessie. How are you today? Thanks for coming down to the OT Corner with Mrs. K. So glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Excellent. Excellent. So um, as I said in your intro, you are a um, licensed uh, counselor and you are primarily working with children and their families. And is this in the school systems or is this also in private practice? It's actually only in private practice for my Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So um, I have a question. How did you get interested in, you know, this field? Yeah. So actually, my father and his mother are in the field. Um, so I kind of always known that I wanted to be in it. I was exposed pretty early. Um, but for children, specifically, I've always loved working with children. And I worked with children, I babysat, um, I got as many, you know, counselor, camp counselor positions and anything I could do to work with children, watch them learn. Um, I would work in classrooms if I could at school and volunteer that way, um, anywhere I could to watch how they learn and focus and progress through life. Um, so I kind of always knew I wanted to work with children in some capacity. And then I kind of put the two together. And I do know that you um, are very involved in community theater, and I know that you like to, you have in the past done some work in community theaters with kids. Mm -hmm. And um, how are you combining, how do you like to combine those two areas of interest? Well, sometimes I keep them very separate because theater is my kind of escape when I'm performing. Um, but I've started directing since I've um, graduated from my master's program. Um, and I liked to work with kids in the theater because um, I do get to see that learning experience and watch them grow that way. Um, so I get to kind of play with both of the, the, you know, the children aspect and the theater aspect. Um, And so that's been really fun. I do theater camps during the summer, and I really like to work with them that way, too. 
Um, but sometimes in my personal life, I like to keep them separate so that it can still be my escape. I also do drama therapy or I start to sprinkle that in into my counseling as well, which I'm sure we can get further into. But that's another way that I like to combine the two. Excellent. Now, I what how is it different working, you know, using psychotherapy with children versus adults? So <laughs> it's actually quite different because children are not able, typically are not able to um, explain how they're feeling as well as adults can. Um, and we also have to include the parents in counseling, typically, um, when they're under 18. We use a lot of other types of therapy in our counseling sessions. So we'll do play therapy, we'll use different pictures to kind of explain how we're feeling, drama therapy, as I mentioned, kind of how would this character or this TV show scenario, how would they um, experience a situation? How would they cope with this? So it's it's a lot different with kids because they can't explain so much as adults can. Um, and also adult, there's not that, um, I don't have to report anything as much as I do with um, kids. Adults are a lot more free to tell me things, less of a filter, I think, than kids do. They're very guarded. They learn at a different pace. Kids and adults, kids learn a lot faster, but they're a lot more flexible and elastic in what they're learning. Um, so they learn quicker than adults do. Um, but that also means that they're pretty set in their ways from home. We have to kind of mold that into um, relearning with kids. Um, adults, it's a lot harder for them to learn and they're really set in their ways. So there's a lot of differences with kids versus adults. And I, I think that's why I like working with kids is because they do, they're sometimes set in the race because that's how their parents have trained them. But it also allows me to um, kind of unwind what they've learned and re like set, set a new agenda and kind of, okay, maybe we need to relearn how to approach angry situations, things like that. And I know like, as I work a lot with three to six-year-olds and I think too, sometimes when we see behaviors, behaviors are communication with kids. I always feel that if you understand that, it's a lot easier to come up with a solution, you know, as an adult or as an educator, as a parent. You know, we do, I use a lot of pictures for transitions in school just to know what's expecting. So how does that look like in psychotherapy? Like when you come into a session, do they, do you have like a storybook that you start with? Or do you, how do you, how do you do that with kids in psychotherapy? So I, what I preach to my clients is that no two kids, no two skills are going to work the same for any, any kid. Um, so I kind of meet them where they're at. Some kids want to sit down and let everything out. They want their parent involved. They don't want the parent involved, but they want to let everything out. Some kids are very hesitant to let anything out and we really have to build rapport. So I have an evaluation that I have to fill out in that first session but I tell them if we don't get through it and we want to talk about something else or something makes you uncomfortable, let's skip it. Um, and sometimes we'll use pictures, you know, to point at things if they don't want to talk so much. Um, sometimes we'll use drawings. I use drawings a lot. And can you draw for me how you felt in this situation? Because it's very hard to um, explain it. Or um, if we say draw your family and they draw themselves really, really small and they draw their parents really, really big or their siblings really, really big. That tells me how they're feeling. They feel small in that situation. So there's a lot of different things that drawings can tell us without even realizing that they're telling us something. Um, different colors in their pictures 
um, can tell us a mood in the home, things like that. I apply colors to different moods together. We do it together. So I'll be like, what's your angry color? And we'll use that to color an angry picture. And it just kind of lets that out. So the first session can look a lot of different ways. I use bibliotherapy, which is books. Sometimes that can help in just kind of watching how another child copes poorly or copes well with an emotion so they can kind of mimic that. But every session I'd say looks different in that first session because I have to meet them where they're at with the trust. And I know that I have to build that trust with them too. Um, whether they're six years old, whether they're 12 years old or whether they're 20 years old because they work through 22. So it kind of just depends. And I'm really happy that, to know that I need to build that rapport and that trust. I don't expect it to be there on that first session. And I know that because we've met before and we've talked about this play therapy, and that's something that you're really interested in getting into. And I could see where this would probably benefit that three to six uh, year old age group. What is play therapy for that age group? What does that look like? Play therapy can be a whole bunch of different techniques. And I'm not a play therapist. There is a, a whole licensure for that as well. Um, but I did learn skills through my master's program for play therapy. And I do my own research and things like that, that I'm able to use that is evidence-based. Um, and it can look like a whole bunch of different things. There's sand tray um, with little figurines that they can use, um, drawing, again, reading and certain types of what do you take away from this book? Anything that the kid does to play. I use a lot of Legos. I had a kid build a pyramid and each side of the pyramid was a different mood. And so we kind of used that pyramid to show how they were feeling. And it's just, I, I go with what they want to build. I really try not to tell them what to build, but then we use that and incorporate moods or situations or, you know, and any type of, of um, where, the, where their issues lie. We kind of try to find a, a connection between that. And it helps me form a bond with the kid and the parents feel a lot more secure in knowing that their kid has someone that they trust being in there with them. I think that's the biggest part of play therapy is building that bond because kids do play and have imagination. And part of play therapy is building that imagination, um, but allowing it to be productive and not just them playing and crashing cars and that kind of thing. It's uh, kind of like letting the child go and explore, but also having some sort of structure to the play to allow you to like. Yeah. Yeah. Usually we kind of like, I'll let them go and then we can say, okay, so what, what's that car's name or what's that, you know, Lego figures backstory. And we'll go through like, oh, well, this is so-and-so and they just um, had a, their parents divorced. And the kids will go into so much detail about what they're going through. And sometimes it really does lead back to, well, do you know somebody whose parents are divorced? Are your parents divorced? How did, where did you come up with that? And it, it leads back to a fear or a trauma or it, it all connects somewhere. Um, so really giving them that freedom, but also knowing that there's always a meaning behind what they're doing in some form or another, if their play is really aggressive, that shows you that there's some aggressive tendencies, typically. Um, again, there's always outliers and things like that that we can figure out and play with. But a lot of times there's meanings behind most of the play therapy that they're doing, and we just have to find them. Excellent. Now, we have um, noticed an influx, well, I have, of referrals just for therapy, uh, occupational therapy, gross motor. My friend is a physical therapist, and we've noticed a lot of 
referrals coming around in the preschool. And I think we're wondering if it's due to some of these COVID, you know, babies that were born during COVID, they're coming into preschool now. They have not a lot of exposure. I was wondering, like, from, um, you know, a counselor's perspective, what have you seen, like, COVID? How has that affected, especially this, like, three to six-year-old group? And have you seen, like, an increase in numbers in your practice with this age group? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think COVID has affected every aspect. Um, I think the biggest one I see is social. Um, unsurprisingly, they had two years without much social interaction other than with their family. Um, so there's a lot of lack of social skills. Academically, there's a huge lack, especially I'm seeing a lot of high schoolers, but all over the place, there's just a lack of motivation in school because they had two years where they the assignments were kind of do, but if they didn't do it, they could have an extension, that kind of thing. But for those younger kids, especially it's, they're not see they weren't seeing faces for two years with the masks. So they didn't see facial expression and that's what they're learning during that critical period. Socializing, that's their like, extreme time to learn how to meet friends and play on the playground. And they didn't get to do that. So I'd say for, for the most part, that's the biggest thing. I mean, they probably started kindergarten online. Mm-hmm. And then they get to play in the on the playground or play in the classroom or color with their friends and those kinds of things that are critical for kindergarten. Um, so for that age range, that I would say is the biggest thing that I've seen was that social emotional interaction. Um, I'd see say I'd see I've seen more aggressive tendencies at home um, because they've been home so much and they're just now starting to go out. There's a lot of anxiety about going out in public. So there's like a 50-50. I've seen some people enjoyed the pandemic in some ways because they didn't have to go out. And so there's anxiety about going out. And some people really, really did not like the pandemic and were feeling pretty depressed and are now feeling better that they can go out. So there's kind of that, and that's at all age ranges. And I think that also depends on the parents for those little kids. And they kind of model what the parents were feeling during the pandemic. So if the parents were really anxious about staying inside or anxious about going outside, um, you know, in public, I think the kids start to pick up on that and feel that anxiety too. And what does anxiety, excuse me, it look like in a, like a three to six year, like a preschool kid, what does that look like? Or is it a, a range of emotions? It can be so many different things. Um, and I've seen it it can be hard to diagnose almost because it can look like so many other things. It can be hyperactivity. Um, it can be stomach aches. Um, that's a really big one. Headaches, those types of symptoms without any underlying cause. It can be like sometimes really young kids can have panic attacks. That's possible. Um, so like difficulty breathing, tingly hands, Um, It can be that hyperactivity where they just can't sit still and it almost presents like ADHD, but it doesn't have all of the symptoms of ADHD. I think the biggest one I've seen in that age range is that stomach ache, headache, feeling nervous, but not being able to explain why they're feeling nervous. They don't actually label it as nervous. Mm -hmm. Um, They just have those symptoms. So what do you see? Do you have any, um, do you have like any colleagues that do you guys get together and talk about this? particular problem? And what are some of the things that you've come up with 
intervention wise, things that they can do at home in the classroom? So that's a great question. So we have a monthly, we call it supervision that where everyone kind of gets together and talks about cases that we see patterns in cases that we're really struggling with. So we have that once a month. I'm still supervised under my supervisor. I'll have that for two years um, until I get my independent license. So I speak with her once a week and any um, sessions or yeah, any clients, I should say that I'm not sure which path to take. I, I can talk to her about that, but we also, I talk with my colleagues all the time about, you know, specific cases or just specific patterns that we're seeing. Um, and we're all seeing this influx of anxiety, depression, um, going on public, um, socializing situations. And a big thing that my supervisor gives us is if if they just have a safe place to talk, that's the biggest thing we can give them, Um, no matter what age that is. If they have a safe place that they want to ask questions, um, they want to play, that we can kind of give them that safe place to play. That's why we're here right now. Um, If they're not uh, um, able to talk yet, like in that three to six age range where they don't really know what's going on. Um, I'd say that's the biggest thing that our supervisor has given us is really give them a safe place. But do you ever have to go into the school systems or do you ever have to um, talk with teachers or, you know, other, you know, uh, educators about a child in the school? Absolutely. And what does that look like? So I choose to, I think it, it gives my clients better care when everyone's in communication. So I'll do parent sessions, just talking about the kid and, and what they can do to help them the best. Um, but I also work a lot with the schools, usually like 504 IEP plans. Um, a lot more kids are on 504 plans because there's, those are, those are just behavioral based. Um, and that could look like a weekly or biweekly Zoom call or phone call. That could look like just emails back and forth as needed, um, usually with the guidance counselor or school psychologist or anything like that. Um, there needs to be a release signed so the family would know that I would be reaching out. Um, some, and it's different for every case. Um, I always make sure that the client knows what I'm telling the school because Sometimes they don't want me involved with the school at all, and that's completely okay. But especially for that three to six age range, I think it's important that I am in contact with the school because I see them outside the education environment. Um, And so we can communicate. Parents see them at home. I see them in kind of almost like a real world setting, and then they see them academically. So if we can all communicate, okay, this is what works best here. Why don't you try this skill? Parents have found this works at home, so why don't we implement that at school? Um, we talk about escape passes, or what they're kind of called right now, or break cards, so the kid can, like, with permission, leave the classroom if they need to, go to the office, go to, like, a sensory room. Um, they have a bin where we can we put all the skills that we've been working on in there so they can calm themselves down and go back to class. Um, things like that, we just try to implement as much as we can through the school, because that's where they spend a lot of their time too, and then communicating with parents for home. So it's kind of like a liaison between all three um, to make sure everyone's in communication. I find that really important. It's actually a part that I really like about my job is communicating with the schools. Now, do you find yourself in the school systems doing any observation, or is it just primarily that Zoom contact 
with the teachers? I have looked into doing some observations and I would like to. However, I know that my clients might act a little bit differently if I'm personally in the classroom. Um, and I think that would skew some results. So I've, I've talked to some colleagues about them going into the classroom and observing for me and giving results back and me doing the same for them. So that could be coming in the future. Um, it would definitely be helpful. Um, the school can also do observations and give them back to me as well. Um, but mostly my communication is through email and phone calls or Zoom calls or whatever they are. With the three to six-year-old age group, we do see, it's interesting that you said you see like these um, characteristics coming out like ADHD. Um, I'm wondering too, like, do you see spectrum behaviors in kids sometimes that have gone through this, you know, COVID period? Um, and, or if they are on the spectrum and they've been <laughs> gone through COVID, like that's makes, that's a whole, those are a ton of layers there. And how do you like peel back those and get to those kids that are on the spectrum that have been having difficulties in the classroom at that age? Yeah. Well, I think a big thing that I always say to, to kids that I might see that are on the spectrum or near the spectrum that we, I don't like giving diagnoses because I, it does put them in a box. Mm -hmm. And when they have labels like this and they have multiple labels, even um, it really does make them feel like they're put in this box with everybody else who has the same symptoms. Sometimes it, hel it helps and sometimes it really doesn't. Um, but it is hard because especially for kiddos on the spectrum or even with ADHD, I would say that social piece is critical that they're missing. And it was already having difficulty to begin with. So we work a lot with social skills and I let them ask questions that they don't feel are appropriate to be asking in a real world setting. Um, is it okay to, you know, ask someone why their hair looks like that or why their skin looks like that. Just questions that they don't normally ask because they'd be scared to. And so we talk about it and they're allowed to ask any questions they want and they will not be judged. And I think it's important that they get those questions answered um, in some way or another. And if they're not allowed to ask it to someone at school or to their parents or they feel judged, it gives them that free space to really say what is socially acceptable and what is not socially acceptable. So we talk a lot about socialization, what we can do about it, what it looks like to give eye contact or how we perceive other people's nonverbals, how we give off nonverbals, because those tell a lot too. So that, that's where the drama therapy comes in a lot is we practice it. We do those role-playing situations. Um, I think a lot of times that's for older, a little bit older than I was just going to ask do you, do you, how does that work with the three to six year olds? It, it could, it could, because it really depends on their mental age more than their physical age. I think you and I have talked about that too. Um, there are some six year olds who do not present like six years old and they, we could absolutely go into this and they will sit there and listen and talk to me and, you know, challenge me. And it's, great. Um, and sometimes it's not something we can get into. Sometimes it is really playing. It is, do we think this is an appropriate behavior or not appropriate behavior? We'll use a whiteboard and we'll draw certain pictures. And we say, is this a good idea or a bad idea? We go into it that way. Um, but again, I have 12 year olds who are presenting like six year olds. So really it's that mental age that we go into more than their physical age. 
I mean, I've had adults who act like children and we have to treat them at their mental age so that it makes sense to them. It's Um, interesting that you say that um, it just triggered a thought that what, so what if you have, there's, you know, little kiddos that are that age and that age group that are nonverbal. So how do you handle that situation? I have that all the time, actually. First of all, I don't, um, I don't specialize with autism. Um, so sometimes I will have to refer them out just because I have to, you know, kind of be honest about that. Um, so I typically only work with high functioning, um, autism just because that's more up my alley. Cause talk therapy is more of what I do, but I've had some who, who, um, really struggle with communication and I will literally hold up. I had a, I think he was five, um, and he was verbal, but he was less like, he didn't put sentences together. It was more words and very distractible. And I really had like a green paper that said yes and a red paper that said no. And that was the only way he was really able to communicate through the sessions. Or on the other thing side, I think I said, go and stop or something like that. And we communicated through points. We communicated through drawings. We communicated through um, like illustrations in a book. Um, he would draw, he would use toys and tell me like how big something was with like a string, things like that. Um, and that's, I mean, really that's where play therapy comes into play. Most of all is when they can't communicate and that's verbally, or that's just, they're not able to put all the words together of what they're feeling. So it's difficult for sure, because it's not the normal way, normative way that we communicate. Um, but I think that's why it's so important and why there's not many people who work with young kids is because it's so difficult and you have to include the parents, um, parents get frustrated because they don't understand the kid or they don't think we're understanding the kid. And it takes a lot of, um, trust building and rapport building to, to get them to understand that you're going to try everything you can to make sure that you're going to take care of their kid during that one hour session. And trying to that understanding. Never, I always want, I always try to make sure I end my sessions on an upbeat, you know, with, because I always feel that when you, if you leave a kid on a, on a bad, you know, say, cause things, you know, kids get upset and they get frustrated. That's just how, just how it is. And I always try to, I don't know if you do the same thing. I always try to somehow create like a positive ending somehow. <laughs> so Absolutely. Because coming back is, they're going to remember that last thing that they did with you. And if it's been stressful or if it's upsetting, it's going to be a really hard transition back into that session. Um, so yeah, we, we use a lot of play in our, at this age group, a lot of the stuff, you know, uh, you know, kids at this age, I think playing is how they discover their world. And it's, you've like hit the nail on the head with socially, they, that's how they, they meet their new friends. They are on the playground. They learn how to take turns going up and down the, the ladder and the slides and safety and all this, um, these skills that they're really developing. So with play therapy, you had mentioned that you are not certified in play therapy, but what do you actually have to do to be certified in play therapy? There's a licensure. Um, I, I think it's just a whole bunch of classes. I was looking into it for a while and I was in my master's program. Um, so I've already dug myself a hole in debt (laughs) that way. So I was not ready to start that. I would like to at at some point do that. Um, and that would just mean I could 
label myself, title myself, and market myself as a play therapist. Um, same with like drama therapy. I couldn't call myself a drama therapist because I haven't gone through all of the training, but I have gone through in enough play therapy training in my master's program um, and with research with my um, supervisor that I could utilize some techniques through um, like of play therapy. But yeah, basically, I think it's just um, like just like an, a normal college course would be. It's just some classes and then some training in it. And it, it was pretty long from what I remember. There was, it was a few years, I want to say, maybe two years. Well, and there seems like there's a lot of information you're gleaning from their play sessions and it's, you know, there's, and what yeah. do you do with that information? So right. it sounds like it's more specialized than just like, like you said, crashing cars and right, right, right. <laughs> well, listen, I am, this is great. I want to bring you back um, next season because I'm going to be working through all the different age groups. Three to six is primarily where I'm starting. Um, one other question before I leave though, do you see any, like, do you do any sort of therapy before three years old or is, is there like a certain age group that, you know, psychotherapy doesn't really work with, or is it just depend, like you said, on the mental age of the child? Cause you could have a two-year-old or a three-year-old that presents a lot older. Absolutely. Um, so there's early childhood is, is what that age range is called. Um, and you absolutely could do therapy on that age range, um, but it would not necessarily look as much like play therapy as it would for three to six-year-olds or six to eight-year-olds or anything like that um, because they don't play the same way um, and their meanings behind their play doesn't look the same. Mm. So it would it would look different. And honestly, I've never worked under three years old. My youngest is four. Um, and this client is four, so I have not worked under that, but I know that there are, I mean, you could start as early as six months, I believe, but I'm not sure what the diagnosis trajectory would look like, or, um, I I have a a colleague who does see that young, um, but it would look a lot different because their brains and the meanings behind their, um, behaviors are so different than that really early childhood um, preschool age, kindergarten age range. That's interesting. Well, great. So would you be able to come back and Absolutely. Talk as we move through these age groups? Um, excited to launch the first season with the three to six year old age group. But I think after, as we move into the elementary grades and then middle school and high school and beyond that, I think that'd be great to have you back if you're willing. I would love to, I would love to, this is great. Well, thanks so much, Jesse, for coming on today and we will see you soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the OT Corner with Mrs. K. Feel free to join the OT Corner community by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you have a topic you want to hear about or if you would like to come on the show, feel free to contact Jennifer at theotcorner.com. We would love to hear from you. All information from the show is listed in the episode notes. We know you can listen to anyone, so we appreciate you stopping by. Until next time, thanks again.